Well, Lord, thank you for the chance that we've had to worship you, to sing, to offer you what little we have of our energy, of our time, uh, of our attention, God. Father, we're so grateful that you take whatever we have to offer. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. It is so great to see you. Um, been back from Africa. The team came back just a couple weeks ago, and I still kind of feel like I'm getting my U.S. California stormy legs back on. And uh, but so happy to be here. I kind of find myself with some renewed passion and joy and, and energy in the Lord, as well as just connecting with the church family. Uh, we take off for 15 days usually, and and I find that I miss you guys a little bit. There's family over there. They're just slightly different colored skin, different accent, different languages and stuff. But at the same time, this is home. So, well, we are in a series that is just delightful. This be the hope concept. And I love, I love the idea of hope because I believe that hope with hope comes tremendous power. A recent article in Psychology Today, uh, a writer wrote, if I could find a way to package and dispense hope, I would have a pill more powerful than any antidepressant on the market. He goes on to say, hope is often the only thing between man and the abyss. I love that picture. As long as a patient, individual, or victim has hope, they can recover from anything and everything. This is from a secular psychologist, psychiatrist, writing writing this. And You know, we live in a world today that seems to be marked with fear, uncertainty, and worry, stress, anger, confusion, so many things that are not hope, right? And there seems to be so little hope around. Everybody wants to feel hopeful, but but where can you really find hope? What can you put your hope in? I mean, real hope, not not total pie-in-the-sky hope like, I hope the Falcons will win the Super Bowl today. Sorry, I just, I don't really, I'm not anti-Atlanta, I just kind of wanted to get the game reference in there and see what's going on. So true hope is powerful and so much in need. And then the question is, can you possibly be the hope for people around you? Can you do that and be that source of power and strength? God says so. God says you can. And, and, and that idea carries tremendous power and also tremendous responsibility. That's a series we've been walking through here in the last few weeks since the beginning of January. Well, today we're going to be talking about what I believe is the best way that you can be the hope of the people around you. And that is this. And again, if you want to grab a hold of your outline to follow along, take some notes. Jesus is called to be the hope by doing your part to build God's kingdom. So if you have your Bible today, you can turn to the very last few verses in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew 28, 16 to 20 to be exact. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's an account, one of the accounts of Jesus' life. You can flip there right to the back of that, uh, that chapter, the very last words there in the book of Matthew. And when we turn there, we can see in Matthew 28 that God has given us a very, very clear building plans. If we're going to build God's kingdom, very clear building plans right here. And it's called the Great Commission. Now, Jesus didn't call it the Great Commission. That's something that people have done as we looked at it and realized that's really what it is. Very clear building plans called the Great Commission. So a commission is a term that maybe is thrown around a little bit, but it's simply an important direct command given to a person or to a group of people, uh, an important group. And that's what we'll see in Matthew 28. 
Well, this so-called Great Commission consists of the last words that Matthew records uh, of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been crucified uh, a while back at this time, but he rose from the dead on the third day, and over the next 40 days after his resurrection, he appeared to his followers a number of times, as recorded in the Bible. So this account at the very end of the book of Matthew is generally considered to be the eighth recorded appearance of Jesus after his raising from the dead. So this wasn't like he showed up once and it was a hallucination. It was repeatedly, time after time, sometimes to a small group, to individuals, sometimes to a large group. This was about the eighth or considered to be the eighth time. So now the very next time recorded in scripture would be his very last time. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1. This is a time when he appears, has a few words with his disciples, and then he ascends into heaven and they stand there staring going, where is he going? Or is he coming back? And directives come from there. So this is the next to the last time that he appears, and he has some very important words to share, uh, almost like his last words, certainly in the context of, of a sitting down time. Now, Jesus' words in Matthew 28 actually start in verse 18 of what's considered the Great Commission. Uh, the commissioning starts there, the sending of his followers on this incredible mission. But I wanted to back it up a couple verses just so we could get the setting clear in our minds, maybe so that we could make it make more sense and really get the breadth of what's here. So I'm going to back up and start at verse 16 before Jesus' actual words so we can see context here. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, I want to dig into that a little bit. First of all, it says the 11 disciples. Well, again, we know that Jesus had 12 disciples, but this is shortly after his death and resurrection. Judas, the betrayer, had committed suicide. One of his followers had killed himself. Scripture tells us that. And so the 12 is now 11 Jesus ends up calling, or excuse me, the, the disciples end up calling one more, and of course God leads in that to, to, to build that back out into 12 in, a, in Acts, but right now it's the 11, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And uh, so most theologians believe that more than 11 went to the mountain based on some other accounts, but Matthew's focus here is on this core group of 11 that he's a part of as well. So he's stressing the 11. Now it says he went to Galilee in keeping with Jesus' humble approach to life. He didn't have me... Let's go meet in Jerusalem and make a big deal about it. Let's go off to humble Galilee to meet up in a mountain. And there they saw him, it says, and worshipped him. And then there are three interesting words here, beyond saying that it's Galilee and it's the eighth appearance and all that stuff. But this to me is huge. It, it says this, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, it's interesting, as I did some studying this last, this last week looking at this, Lots of confusion, and no one could agree on what are they doubting here. They've seen Jesus multiple times. Are they doubting, is this really Jesus? Are they doubting his call? Are they doubting his identity? Are they doubting his, you know, what really is going on through this process? And there's a, a much disagreement and, and, uh, and even argument over this about what they doubted. But here's the deal to me. I, I maybe don't think it's that deep. Whatever they doubted, here's what I love about these three words. It admits that some of Jesus' closest followers doubted. It admits right here and there. Anyone here ever have doubts? You know, in fact, some of you raising your hands, and most of you are like, I ain't raising my hand. <laughs> but yeah, we have doubts. Doubts about God, doubts about life, about whether God can and will do what he says, right? Anybody? And I love this because some of Jesus' followers doubted, 
And they'd actually seen him risen. They're standing here, even in this account. He's right here. This is him. I'm touched. He's been. And then still there's doubts. And still there's doubts. Wow, can, can that actually be true? Some of his followers seen him risen and they doubt. And so if some of them doubted, then there's hope for us. Sweet, right? You know what I mean? If, if they could doubt and be right there in his presence. And Jesus, he didn't disqualify them. He didn't cast them out. He didn't make fun of them. He didn't shame them. He assured them and he gave them the same, he gave them the same commission and the same call as he did the non-doubters. Because it said some doubted him. And he didn't separate the goats from the sheep at that point. Okay, you doubters sit over there. I'll deal with you later. Let me talk to you faithful ones. Need I remind you, every single one of them made the trip to Galilee to the mountain. So there was an expression of faith. Okay, Jesus, I'm, I might be doubting, but I'm still going to go and take a step towards this. And so Jesus, Jesus engaged with them. So, and here's where I need to pause See, some of us are familiar with what has been called the Great Commission, this passage. Not so much the verses I just read, but the the verse that Ron read earlier where Jesus says, go and make disciples. And some of us are familiar with this, what's called the Great Commission, but we've relegated it to more of a pretty good suggestion instead of a Great Commission, right? Great, pretty good. Commission, eh, kind of a good, good idea for some people at some times. Or maybe we decided that it was a great commission, but it was really intended for those original disciples back then. And if it works today, it's really maybe for you know, pastors, missionaries, and really super spiritual people, you know, the ultra-godly people. So I want to be clear today, the great commission that we're going to look at here in Matthew 28, Jesus' life instructions of ultimate importance there for each one of us. The pastors and missionaries, yes. The church leaders, yes. The mature followers of Jesus, yes. But it's also a call and a commission for the doubters, the fearful, the weak, the insecure, the overwhelmed, the overly busy, the less gifted. Did I leave anybody out? <laughs> it's, it's a call and a commission, a, 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 a commission, a, an instruction of great importance laid before each one of us as a follower of Jesus. Okay, so here we go. God calls each one of us to be the hope of the people around us, building his kingdom. And the details in the next few verses in Matthew 28, his great commission. So I want to take a fresh look at the great commission. I commented earlier today when I shared with the worship team, all my years of being a pastor, a youth pastor, and then a reach pastor, I've actually never taught these couple of verses. This is kind of the most famous Jesus you know, commissioning to go basically tell people about Jesus, and I've never even taught through them. So to me, I want to take a fresh look at it today, and hopefully we can go there as well. Um, A fresh look says it's important to notice that it starts with Jesus, and this is on your outline. As we take a look at the Great Commission, this is Jesus giving us instructions, but it doesn't start with us. It starts with Jesus. It starts with him. And so we see in Matthew 28, 18, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, This is it that said some doubted. And then he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we're going to stop right there. Just the one verse. You see, I think Jesus sees the disciples. He sees inside of them, including the doubters and the fearful. And he makes sure that he lays the all-important foundation. And that's this. Building God's kingdom starts by building on Jesus. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's nothing partial here, right? Uh, it's, just not, it's not partial. Not just some authority, not just a good bit of authority or even a lot, but all authority on earth, but also in heaven. 
Now, you have to pause for a second and say, well, Jesus has always been God, you know, pre-existent, and even here on earth, he was God. Didn't he always have authority? Well, yes, Jesus always did have the authority of God, but here's the deal. Um, After his resurrection, the scope in which he exercises absolute authority has expanded to the entire universe. Jesus said that authority was there. I laid it aside for a time, but right now I have been filled and renewed and called and, and, and in a sense, empowered. Well, totally. He says the authority is here for the entire universe. This is a big deal. Jesus wants his followers to know that he holds all authority in his grasp. Those of you that are fearful, that are doubting, you need to know there is nothing lacking right here, says Jesus. This authority means power over persons and things, dominion and rule. So because of Jesus' authority and power, we can live with confidence that Jesus is sovereign, that Jesus is in control, in total control. He is in control, not us. So while it starts with Jesus, that's the foundation as he begins his call um, as the one who is in absolute control it continues with us. It continues with us. And so that's our second point here. The Great Commission simply says it starts with Jesus as he points to himself and says, wait a second, it starts right here, but then it does continue. You see, we can stand on Jesus and be empowered to do all that he asks us to do. Jesus establishes that he is the foundation. He is the power and authority that then he issues his call, really his commission here. And it takes off in verse 19. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Do you see the therefore? It's actually in the slide before this, but in the first verse it says, go therefore. What he, what he just said was, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God the Father has given this. I hold it all. So, therefore, you doubters, you fearful, you uncertain people, I'm going to give you a call and I'm going to empower you to do it. Because I have all the power. I can give you a command that's important and doable because I have the power and I will empower you. Now, when you break these verses down, as we look at this, these commands as we'd see it, in the original Greek language, the structure really here, I won't bore you with the details, but the structure um, uh, allows us to see the primary focus of this whole set of words. There are a lot of commands in the English translation, but really the primary call is to make disciples. The primary call through all of this is to make disciples, and that's another fill-in-the-blank for us here, and that we see the commands of we're to make disciples and baptize and to teach them and to obey and all these things, but really what it's, and to go, but really what it's about is making disciples, and all these other commands circle around this. So make disciples. We're called to make disciples. So what is a disciple? Disciple simply is one who doesn't just hear, but one who understands and responds and obeys Jesus' teaching. It's, it's truly following Jesus. And so this is a call to lead people to meet Jesus, yes. He's saying, go tell people about me, Jesus is saying. Help people come to saving faith to give their lives to, to Jesus. But it's not just praying the initial prayer of submission to Jesus with someone. That's a start. It's, it goes on. It's leading them then in the journey to actually follow Jesus with their day-to-day, moment-to-moment life. Now, this may sound like the job of a pastor, but I want to remind you of this next point. The call is for each one of us. Be a disciple so you can make disciples. 
Okay, if you look at yourself and say, I want to I be a follower of Jesus. I want to I continue to resemble and pattern myself after Jesus. Let him transform me. And as I do that, one of the calls is as I'm being a disciple, I can then make disciples. And I know we talked about this earlier, but I want to reinforce it. We are disciples so we can make disciples. If the call was only to the original disciples, the 11 would have gone out and made disciples of hundreds thousands, maybe even tens of thousands if they got really busy, right? And, and then that would have been it. You know, it would have kind of flagged after that. It would have kind of just sat through there. It, there would have been that immediate explosion, and then Christianity would have plodded along. Eleven to reach the hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, and those people just kind of sit there. Maybe tell their kids so you get some, you know, family Christianity going on, but that would have been about it. But think about it. Part of the call of becoming a new follower of Jesus is picking up the privilege, the privilege uh, of passing on the gift. Each one of us inherits the commission and and the love and the power to be able to make disciples and and the responsibility that comes with it. It's our commission. It's our job. It's our call. So, So we're called to make disciples, and that's each one of us as a follower of Jesus, as I'm a disciple and become a disciple. And make disciples. And how are we instructed to do this? Well, the passage gives us several specifics. First of all, it says, be ready to go. Be ready to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. See, we can't just sit around and wait for someone to approach us, asking us to give us the details about our faith. No, you actually can sit around and wait for that. How's that working for you? <laughs> it happened once or twice in your entire life, right? And, and so... If that happens, be ready to respond. But he's really saying, you need to be ready to go. You need to, you need to take a step. Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's almost an assumption that they will go, as it literally translates, as you go. Jesus is saying, as you go, because of course you will go. This is too important for you to sit back and wait for someone to come to you. As you go, make disciples. So what does that mean for us today? A couple of things as we think about going. First of all, be intentional and relational. These things need to happen as we go, okay? So the going is to go intentionally into relationship with people, intentionally into relationship with people. The intentional part is you need to think about it. You need to plan for it. You need to care enough. It really comes down to care, folks. You need to care enough about others and about Jesus' call that you pray and plan and act intentionally. It's things like this. God, what can I build into my life that will give me an opportunity to meet somebody new that I some way can impact for Jesus? I was sharing this week with someone that I met with uh, right when I moved here all those years ago, 13 years ago, up to Nevada County here and, and was to the privilege of, of being called into this church uh, staff and this church body. Um, people were telling me, you know, here's a mechanic, here's the people around that do things, you know, who is the doctors and dentists in town, all that. And then I remember some of the pastors telling me, we have so many wonderful gals here at church that cut hair, and so you need something done with your hair, right? <laughs> and uh, so you could try her, 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 and I thought, you know, as the reach pastor, if I surround myself, because I'm already working with a bunch of Christians, right, here at church, hopefully, <laughs> I need to, and I purposely didn't go to any of the women that cut hair. Sorry, gals, if you're here today, I purposely don't take it personally, but I went, I need to be out there. I need to find someone who doesn't know Jesus to come and do something with my hair because I do know this enough about haircutting. Most of those gals not only are gifted, and I know there's some guys, but let me go with it. Most of those gals are not only gifted with their styling, but also with their gift of talking and listening, right? 
And so I just want to intentionally choose someone that over the years, and it's been years and years that I've gone back to the same gal who I can share my faith with. Being intentional about that. Do you understand? It probably would have been more fun to be with someone who we can share church stories with and encourage each other in the Lord, but it's intentional. What, what else can I be doing? Where else can I go to make an intentional choice to say, I want to go and build relationship with someone. It might be over time that I can, that I can plant a seed or water or maybe one day even reap. Who will you target and where will you meet them? How will you approach them? How will you make the impact that God wants? See, this leads us to the relational part. Relationship, it's making disciples is a relational thing first and foremost. And, and this takes time and intentionality. Relationships don't just happen, right? And, uh, and so we, we, we only have to look at Jesus as he made disciples. How did he do it? right? You know, he didn't just give classes and teach seminars with great information to his disciples in training, right? Sign up for my seminar. You can be a disciple and take notes. It wasn't that, right? He did plenty of teaching as he walked with them, as he talked with them. He challenged them. He encouraged them. He lived life with them. And, and so it was a lifestyle relationship. It was a supremely relational process that allowed others to discover him in fullness and in truth. Now, not that you have to live with potential disciples 24-7 like Jesus did. That might be tough in today's world. I thought about that. You know, hi, boss. I want you to meet Tony. (laughs) He's a new disciple of Jesus, so I wanted him to kind of hang out with me today at work to kind of see how I handle things, you know, with clients and workplace issues. that work for you, boss? (laughs) Okay, sorry. (laughs) You know, hey, honey, I'm bringing home somebody for the next couple months to live with us so he can reply. Okay, maybe not, right? So somewhere there's a balance in here to say, okay, Jesus did something that fit his time and his space and his life. But folks, we no impact without contact, right? It's got to be something intentional and it has to be relational. I'm going to invest in this relationship so that someone can see in me, not just hear about Jesus, but see and hear and be a part of life and see what Jesus looks like in me. Oh boy, am I not Jesus. But maybe, I, hopefully, I'm a little bit different than that person who doesn't know Jesus, how I handle things, hopefully how I forgive, how I deal with stress, how I take things to God in prayer rather than just fall apart, right? Be ready to share some life with them. Secondly, not just be relational, intentional, but we're called to go local and global. We're called to go local and global. Go and make disciples of all nations means, yes, go to your nation, right? Your local community would be your nation. But all nations means, you ready for this one? All nations, (laughs) All means all, right? I mean, there it is. So locally, God says, yes, nations is where you're at. In fact, you're most influential because that's where you spend the most time, right? Your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your circle of influence. And just like me with my person doing the hair, you may need to expand your circle of influence intentionally. It might be a go home today and say, Lord, what can I build into my life to get some more circles of, of people that don't know you yet? Who does Jesus want to reach through you that doesn't already follow him? You know, I probably can't reach them, meaning me specifically. Your Honor, the pastors here, even though we're pastors, we probably can't. Maybe because we're pastors and we're not in relationship with them, but you are. God says, this is, this is your job. This is your opportunity, your privilege, your responsibility. So locally, God calls us there. second part of that is global, though, beyond our immediate community. I mentioned as I started, a team of us just got back from Uganda uh, about two weeks ago. Twelve of us had an amazing 15 days of ministry. And yes, 
disciple making happened over there. You know, we encouraged and mentored dozens and dozens of our orphans plus widows and a chance to be opportune uh, to have opportunity to be relational at six different churches over there and many many others in the villages along the way because we did a lot of traveling um, I wanted to put some pictures up we went to a church this first one this is of a little of a little kid um, this is at Busige ready take notes be anyway this is at a church that we went to and we took a bunch of our orphan children there uh, and in the midst of our praying and working and everything else, they were able to do an evangelistic time with the kids there. Uh, at this other church we were at as well, they had opportunity to lead some kids to Jesus. But I was just so captured by this, this kid who, who was praying to God and an opportunity to invite Jesus. And let's take a look at the next slide. Here's a little girl at other church, Iziru, that we're at. Her name, I remember it, is Jemima. I don't know why I remember it, but she did. Uh, 25 kids at the first church that day accepted Jesus Christ. I didn't lead them to Jesus. Our orphans did. But they were able to do that because in past trips, we'd spent extensive time discipling them and training them in evangelism and in, in sharing their faith and in putting things together so that now, as we made disciples, they made disciples. We had 25 kids in, in one moment except Jesus Christ. They're out in one of the villages in remote Uganda. Here we're at another church, one of the churches that we're building. You see the big cracks in the wall. Yeah, we're, we're building right now. It's going on, but we're building a church that won't have cracks in the walls and holes in the roof. But here is, Christ, uh, yeah, here is Christine, one of our orphan gals, and somebody here sponsors her, praying with Jemima. Uh, this wasn't a big uh, evangelism time, but as the kids spent some time interacting, this little girl said, I want Jesus in my heart and my life. And so she didn't really speak any English. Christine had an opportunity, and we could just sit back and pray and extend hands and pray for Jamima as she became a sister of Jesus Christ. So, um, you know, there we go. We, we have opportunities to make disciples here, and it doesn't have to be as far away as Uganda because, frankly, going down the hill is a bit of a global experience for us if you think about it, right? The communities that we have, let alone if you venture as far as the Bay Area, San Francisco, and, and beyond. But just understand, folks, that God's call is for us to go. And that means don't just sit, but to go, be relational, be intentional. But go out into your community, into your workplace, into your neighborhood. For some of us, going into the neighborhood is kind of just flat-out scary, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but then to go beyond, say, God, where are you calling me? And, you know, we've got a Mexico trip coming up in spring break, and maybe this is an opportunity for you to go to the reach table today and find out about that. Maybe, maybe God's going to call you to go for a week and find out what it means to make disciples on, on the other side of a border in a different culture. Well, Matthew 28 also tells us that we can help disciples grow through baptism and teaching. So we look at this passage, it says, go, you know, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to observe everything I've commanded you. And so um, we can help disciples grow through these methods. Now, baptizing and teaching, baptizing and teaching are not the means of making disciples. You know, you have to do this in order to. Really, this characterizes discipleship. It's a part of it. So baptizing, it's interesting that Jesus, in his final words, that he brings it up. We try to make a big deal about baptism here at Twin Cities Church because Jesus makes a big deal about baptism as a part of a new follower of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's, a, it's important to him, so it's important to us. 
baptism is a public statement of faith, and we need to lead people into baptism. And by the way, we've got one coming up next month, March 5th, I believe, in four weeks. So on the back of your card, there's a place saying, I'm interested in baptism, if you want to check that out. That would be a part of your becoming a more obedient, I guess, faithful disciple yourself, but also encouraging others in your circle, in your small groups, in your Bible studies, in your family to, have you been baptized since you asked Jesus into your heart? That's important to Jesus. And then the teaching bit. This is kind of where baptizing them and teaching. You'd say, wait a second, I don't have the teaching gift. That's kind of a pastor's thing. Uh, First of all, whose job is this? It's yours. (laughs) It is. You might not get up in front of hundreds of people like the pastors here or something, although you might. But you're called to teach them to obey and to observe everything that Jesus has commanded. It's your job. So teach through words and relational modeling. You can do it. And you're called to do it. (coughs) Excuse me. Teach them to, to not just know what Jesus commanded, but to obey, to actually do it. And so that's living life and communicating that. It isn't just head knowledge. I'm going to teach them what to know, but I want to teach them uh, that a transformed heart leads to a transformed life, and it involves my head and my heart both. Jesus said to observe or to obey everything. There's another all, to obey everything I've commanded you. Don't just pick and choose what you like and what sounds easy. It's complete submission. I'm going to teach somebody and help them understand this part. That's the easy road. (laughs) No, it's really all, Jesus says, all. And I find it interesting that Jesus doesn't say teach them law, teach them scripture, especially the Old Testament law. He says teach them what? Teach them to obey, to observe everything that I have commanded you. Jesus talked lots about how law fits in. The law, the Old Testament law, still still holds in principle, but Jesus' law that came was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the vertical, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? That's the law. That really covers most of the Old Testament. Maybe all of the Old Testament law is right there. So Jesus says, teach them that. Model that. Show that. Talk about it. When you blow it, confess it. Ask forgiveness and learn and grow, but do that in relationship and community. Jesus says, don't get hung up on the minor details of the law. Focus on loving God and loving others. Now, I want to pause again, because when I look at this great commission, and I start thinking about what's being asked of me, interesting feelings come up. (laughs) Because the great commission sounds really important, but it sounds really hard. Are you a little bit intimidated or a little bit doubting, scared, worried? Well, I took some comfort this week when I was praying and studying when I realized that for the disciples listening to Jesus that day, they would have probably been intimidated and scared too. Okay, hold on, Jesus. You want us to do what? Go where? All the world? Remember pre-automobiles, planes, all that sort of stuff. Like You want us to go? go. That doesn't sound safe. People speak different languages. People don't like us Jews, frankly. A lot of people don't. Go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything you've commanded, everything, Jesus. Carry your cross, you know, do all those sorts of things. Turn the other cheek, all that stuff, Jesus. Is that all? I'm sitting here thinking, they're all of them, including Peter, going, I ain't so sure about this one. But here's where Jesus steps in again. As I believe in these few sentences that he shares, that he realized he's blown them out of the water with the huge responsibility of this, he could see their rising concern and maybe even panic. 
And you see, it starts with Jesus, it continues with us, but he says, don't worry, it ends with Jesus. But it doesn't end, it keeps going. But we have this wonderful book in that Jesus says, I've got this great commission, these great instructions, this great directive, but it starts with me. Remember, power and authority here. And then it continues with you, but don't panic because it ends with me. I've got this great book and it's this great Oreo cookie and you're just a juicy filling inside, but I've got you handled, I've got you sandwiched here. So right after he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, he says, behold, I am with you always. There's another all, at all times, technically, to the end of the age. Every moment, amen, every moment of every day, throughout each day. Jesus perhaps sees their rising anxiety. He, He immediately moves to say, don't fret, don't worry, don't be intimidated. I, remember me, the uh, possessor of all authority of heaven and earth, (laughs) I will be with you always. Jesus says, it started with me. I laid the foundation. And although I'm calling you into the process, please know that I'm with you through the whole thing, start to finish. I will be with you at all times in all places. So you can let your anxiety go and be confident in me, says Jesus. So Jesus ends this short passage with this amazing promise of his real presence at all times and all places. And although this promise isn't entirely conditional on our fulfilling this great commission, I was fascinated to find out this week as I looked into it that this promise is closely tied to what he's asking us to do. You understand what I'm saying? Jesus isn't saying, if you don't do it, I'm not going to be with you. What he is saying is, as you do it, I am going to be with you. There is a close tie to there. He's saying, the reason why I'm going to be close to you is because you're going to need that. Not, I'm not close to you so you can feel good and warm and wonderful by yourself. This is special. I, Jesus says, I'm with you completely so you can do and be all I am calling you to do and to be. That's why I'm there. Jesus says, it's my expectation you will enter into the process with me and we will do this together. What a team, you and me, says Jesus. And then I got this great picture. I love this picture. Jesus and me as a team. You and Jesus as a team. Not you and your spouse, you and your family, you and your best friend. I mean, that's great. You can do things together. But just picture yourself right now, standing, sitting, whatever is comfortable for you. I know Jesus is right next to you, standing, sitting, whatever. Big smile on his face, arm around you. We're a team. We can do this together. I'm thinking we can. On my own, I don't have a prayer. I don't have a chance. It doesn't matter how much I know. It doesn't matter my giftedness, my skills, my intellects. It does not matter. On my own, I'm lost. With Jesus, I think I can do about anything. I'm sorry. I think we can do about anything. And that's the picture that we have, Jesus and me, Jesus and you as a team. What would be too big for the two of you to do? Right? Do you believe it, though? Nothing would be too big, but still kind of scary. The book of Matthew ends with the torch being passed. Jesus' mission and teaching entrusted to us. It begins with Jesus, it continues with us, and it ends with Jesus, but it actually doesn't end. Because although this great commission was given you know, some 2,000 years ago, it is as vital and important and living today as it was the day it was spoken. And it's spoken to you as a follower of Jesus. Well, we're, we're almost done today, but there's some application at the bottom of your page that needs to happen. I left some blanks. First of all, what will you choose to do this week to help build God's kingdom? 
What will you do, choose to do this week to help build God's kingdom? There's a place to write something down. So this is like response time. You're not going to turn this in to get it graded. You're maybe not even going to share it with someone else. Although I would encourage you to share all of these lines if you're in a community group or in some sort of a, uh, of a, of a group uh, that you can share this with. That's some positive encouragement and accountability. You may, need to, you may need to share, I need to get more intentional about my relationships. I need to take this more seriously. I'm going to go and be more bold at work or whatever through this. Something that God's calling you to do that you might not want to admit to, but it's there. And then at the, the next thing it says is I put down not just one line, because why stop at one? Three people in that specific names that you can be praying for and preparing to share with. And I want you to actually write those names down. If you don't have three names, you definitely need to get more intentional. You know what I mean? I'm not sure if I know three people that don't know Jesus. Time to get busy, right? Lord, bring me into contact with some people that I can have that influence on. Here's the last thing that came to me sometime as I was driving in the last couple days with this. I would love for this church to be the kind of place that in the midst of our talking to each other in the lobby or we bump into each other at Save Mart or Safeway or whatever else or just in community with each other that in the midst of our talking about the Super Bowl or the game or the commercials, whichever were better, or, you know, how your family's doing and the weather and all that stuff, we also could say in a moment of um, relationship, we could say, who are you praying for this week? Not, not are you praying for somebody this week? Not, you see, ooh, well, what if I ask and they don't know? I don't want to put them on the spot. Like there's an assumption that God's given us a commission. He's handed us, you know, passed the torch onto us and saying, so who are you involved with? And, and if the answer is, ah, nobody right now, I'm thinking and praying, good, let me pray with you to see what we can come up with. That that would be a part of our regular dialogue to say, who are you trying to bring to church next week? Who are you praying for? Who are you, who are you talking to? Who are you being a little bit uncomfortable with, who you're rubbing shoulders with so that they can see Jesus in you. And, and that you're not doing it because Pastor John said we should, but that that becomes the life and the DNA of our church. That that's just what we do. Because I, because I want to be able to celebrate with you and I want to be able to pray with you as well. I want to be able to share mine. We've been given a great commission, not a pretty good suggestion. It's a huge responsibility, but it starts and ends with Jesus. And yay, it doesn't end. Well, there will be an ending point, the finish line in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for this morning. Um, the chance to look at just a few verses, a few words, God, and yet there's so much there, so much to pull out and then so much to take from it. And then, God, the opportunity and the responsibility and the, the power that you carry, that you pass to us. Father, I just pray that we take this seriously. God, that you'd speak to our hearts, each one of us. I also would pray, God, that if there's anybody here that has not yet made the decision to follow Jesus, they would see how serious as a church we are, how serious you are, God, in bringing your love and light and forgiveness to their life, that we do this because we love you and because we love all people, and that there is opportunity to begin a new and eternal life at any moment by giving your heart and your life to Jesus. God, may we take this seriously. May we rely on you knowing that all power and authority has been given to you and you are with us always at all times to the end of the age. May we rely on you in Jesus' name, amen.